My philosophy is this, you're only as old as the age on your birth certificate says. Not a day, I'm not a day older than my birth certificate tells me. And that's a scientific fact. Unless my birth certificate's wrong. (laughs) Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, uh, Father, for who you are, God. Thank you. For your love for us, God, thank you that you're here with us. God, we know, Father, that you're present. Uh, Lord, we know that, uh, Father, you'll never leave us. You won't forsake us, God. And Lord, thank you that, uh, God, each of us in this room, we're a work in progress, God. You're working on us. God, you've got a picture of who we were created to be, and you're just chipping away, and you're reshaping and remoulding. Uh, God, and conforming us into the image of Jesus. Lord, thank you that we're not here today to just uh, gather information or to hear about God, but we're actually here to experience and be with you. And so, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, as as we, uh, God, open up these ancient letters and look at them, that, Lord, you'd open our hearts. God, speak to us, change us, challenge us, mould us. Conform us into the image of Jesus, we, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, if you've got a Bible there, can you turn with me to Acts chapter 19? I'm going to bounce a little bit off something that we started to touch on last week. And uh, I kind of breezed over it. But I want to spend a little bit of time, what we've got left this morning, looking at what I think is one of the most well-documented cases in the New Testament, New Testament being uh, Matthew onwards, of God moving in a city. There's, there's stuff documented, but there's a particular story here in Acts 19 in the city of Ephesus where something happens in this city. And it's something so powerful that there's a fair bit written about it. We get quite a bit of detail. Usually in these we get the detail. Paul goes in somewhere or Peter goes in somewhere. They preach. Some people get healed. Some people get saved. The church plan, they move on. We get a lot of detail about some significant events in the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And I think there's a lot of relevance for us today. Uh, where we're at as a community perhaps, but definitely where each of us find ourselves as individual believers Bevan prayed something this morning when we were out in the hall there praying before church. And he prayed this. He, he, he prayed that um, as this rain has been coming down in the natural for so long, it's really impacted everything around us, you know. Um, Daniel and Ruth were saying that they, they had somebody come. They're trying to, to uh, think about selling their home in casino um, and moving um, to the promised land. G-Bar as we call it. The G. We just, you know, I might just start calling it the G. That sounds even better, the G. But they're thinking about trying to move in this way somewhere. And somebody came through their house, uh, was it yesterday? Uh, yeah, and, and Daniel said it would be a great place. They would love it if I had to put a dinghy out the front that they could have actually, sweat, you know, rode themselves to the front door because there was a lot of water there. So this water in the natural, this rain that's coming down right now is impacting us in the natural world 
everywhere. I mean, how many of you have got damp in your house because it's been hanging around for so long? You can't get your washing dry. Uh, there's mud on your carpets. <laughs> you, you know, there's, it, it impacts, it's impacting everything. I, I said to Jackie the other day, since we moved up here to Ganelaba, I feel like I've just moved to London, England. Do you even have this thing called the sun up here? Okay? I haven't seen it, so I'm taking your word for it. By faith, I believe you. Okay? By faith, I'm believing what you just said. I haven't seen it. It's rained, it's grey, it's drab ever since we moved up here. Uh, Anyone want to buy a house? (laughs) My house? Oh, the sun. Yes, I did see that. The sun will be here Tuesday. But I've got some good news for you. The sun will be here Tuesday, but the sun is already here. Nice segue. Well done. But in the same way that this natural rain has permeated every area of our life and really impacted and affected the way that we're living at the moment. When it's raining, we dress differently. Uh, maybe we don't go out and do some of the things we once did because the rain doesn't allow. We, 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 our life is impacted and different by this natural rain that is coming down upon us at the moment. But in the same way, spiritually speaking, with the rain of God's Spirit into our lives, it should also be impacting not just whether I come to church on a Sunday, not just whether I start praying to an invisible God, not just whether I go and purchase one of these uh, parent books and start reading the pages. It should have an impact on every area of my life. One person thinks so. Awesome. Good. We're, We're on a good track here. My relationship with God should impact every area of my world. Amen? If not, then it's just a good philosophy to me. And I can pick and choose the bits and pieces of a good philosophy that I want to live by, you know? One of the the, the complaints I used to get when we lived in India, especially from Muslims in the Muslim community, they would say this to me. They would say, the problem with you Christians is that your God doesn't impact your whole life. Christianity is a religion to you. Islam is a lifestyle to us. And this is the way they viewed it. And if I think about it, um, I can kind of understand, I guess, where they're coming from. How many of you have ever had dealings, for example, with a Christian business person? They tithe, they pray, they read their Bible and so on. But maybe when they get into that business sphere, those sort of principles go out the window and now it's just ruthless business. Or you go to school, you go to youth group with some kids in a youth group that God impacts their world and they're, they're, they're praying and they're worshipping God. But then when they go back to school, the, the lifestyle is very, very different. God doesn't seem to have as much of an impact at school or at work or uh, in the workplace or uh, in other areas of life. Whereas this relationship that we have with God, this saving grace of God, this grace that saves us and opens a pathway for a relationship with God is the same grace that should be transforming and changing us, not just the supposed religious parts of my life, but my whole life. My whole life should be being impacted by this relationship with God. Unfortunately for many people and for many of us, it doesn't happen like that. Or maybe for some of us, we start out that way. And and we jump into the pool of of God and it's beautiful. but, But as time goes on after a while, we begin to separate certain parts of our, we don't mean it, we're not evil people, not bad people. But before you know it, we've got certain sections of our life where, okay, God's here, God's here, God's here, but God's not over here. This is me and, and, and that's God. And we can dissect and separate certain parts of our world. And we forget that, hang on a second, God, God saved my life. He didn't just save my spirit to go into heaven when I die. He saved my life. He's redeeming everything about me right now. He's transforming me into the image of this man that we see in the pages of this book called Jesus Christ.
I'm being transformed and changed. In Acts chapter 19, there's an amazing story. I want to go to sort of towards that back end of the story. And in 23 and 24, here's what happens. Now, Paul comes on in. There's a, a church being birthed in this city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a hive of, of occultic activity. It was a city of around 250,000 people. We're talking a pretty decent-sized city here, bigger than the one we live in. And it was a place where people of all kinds of religious backgrounds and occultic practices, magicians and sorcerers would come. And they would sell their wares and they would trade their ideas. It had a very strong occultic background. That's one of the reasons why the book of Ephesians that was written by Paul has the most amount of references to the spiritual uh, world and to spiritual warfare and to the dynamics of the kingdom of God. and so he, he, There's a lot of power references in the book of Ephesians because uh, this is the culture that these people lived in. And so the good news of Jesus comes in amongst these people that are building idols and worshipping idols and sacrificing to little statues of, 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 of you know, false gods and cows and sheep and goats and things. And God comes in and gets a hold of some people's hearts and they get their attention redirected to the one true God, the creator God. That piece of wood that you formed into a God, well, I want to tell you about the God that made the wood that you shaped into a God. Because he's the true God, not the, not the one that you've shaped into something. There is only one true creator God. And so God gets in that city and the city begins to see people come to faith. And here's what ends up happening at the end. And this is, this is, this is the exciting thing for me. In, in Acts 19, 23, 24, it says this. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Now, keep in mind, the way is what we would today call Christianity. It's, it's what they used to call, the Christian faith was called the way. And so a great commotion is caused in the city of Ephesus. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, which was one of the Ephesian gods, made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with workers of similar occupation. He said, men, you know that we have made our prosperity by this trade. In other words, people love our idols. And we're manufacturing these, these images of false gods and people are buying them by the bucket load. And they're putting them on their shelves and in their gardens around their house. They wake up in the morning, they wave incense on them. They're putting pennies in trays out in the front of them. They, they think they're gods. And because they think they're gods, they're enslaved to them. And we, 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 we just can't keep up. This is what he's saying. We make our living out of this. We make a lot of money. He says, you, you hear and see that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess and so on. Demetrius calls them together because here's what he says in essence. He says, this religion that this guy Paul is perpetrating, this God he's talking about, it's so having such an impact on our city that it's affecting the economy of our town. Think about that. God was so in that place, and these people were so encapsulated by God that the economy of the town... Can you imagine? Let's, let's, let's localise this for a second. Can you imagine if we allowed God to so permeate our world and he began to move? that all of a sudden the, the, the adult bookstores all began to shut down because nobody wanted to buy that stuff anymore. All the pubs said, you know, we're going to have to get rid of poker machines because nobody wants to put their money in anymore. Hospitals might end up being empty, exactly right. Can you imagine 
if our faith was so extravagant and had such a grip on our community that the economy itself was beginning to be affected by the faith of everyday people like you and me. When I read that story and I think, God, that is amazing. Here's a real city. It's not, keep in mind, this is not a fantasy book. For those of you that are, uh, believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, believe in the inspired word of God, it's not a story, it's not a fable, it's not a parable. This is a real city called Ephesus. This really happened. This dude pulls them together and goes, our livelihoods are in danger because people don't want to buy our idols anymore. Wouldn't it be fantastic to see something like that happen in our region and in our cities? Now, what's interesting is that, to me, is a big tick. It's like a victory. I read that and I go, yeah, go Jesus. But where did it all start? It actually started with an epic fail. Anyone ever heard that term, epic fail? You go on YouTube and you type in epic fails. And you'll get all these clips of guys like, cool guy riding a skate down the rails and boom, he slips and whoop, lands, not good, epic fail. You know? Somebody skiing down a thing, just thumbs up at the camera, next thing, bang into a tree, epic fail. You know? This whole thing started with an epic fail. And we touched on the epic fail last week. And if you go back, a little bit further back into Ephesians... Uh, in verse 14, it says, There were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. What, what they were doing was they were running around going, In the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. They, they, they saw Paul performing miracles and signs and wonders, casting out demon spirits. And remember, when we talk about demon spirits, things like that here now, we live in a very modern scientific world and a Western world with a, a very uh, a different kind of philosophy. And, and for a lot of us, maybe you do or maybe you don't believe in that, that stuff. I'm just saying to you, this is just what the Bible teaches. I do believe that there is another dimension going on around us. And, and by that, I don't mean that hell is south and heaven is north. Okay? If hell was south, then you'd only be able to go to about the core of the earth because once you went past that, you'd be getting too close to the other side. Their hell would be further back this way. Very confusing geographically. So hell's not north, south and heaven's not north. If heaven was north, then the guys in the space shuttle probably would have reached it by now. It, it's not that. The Bible doesn't teach heaven as, as up there and hell is down here. They're, these are worlds that are coexisting in, in different dimensions, if you want to put it that way. Whoever made that movie, The Matrix, I'm not recommending it, but whoever made the movie, The Matrix, had some amazing spiritual insight into how the world works. Okay? So it's all happening around us right now. Whether, whether, whether you agree or believe or whatever, that's fine. But right now, I believe this. I believe there are angels in this room. I believe the Spirit of God is in this room. You brought him in when you can. I believe that. And I believe that God has an agenda for your life. But I also believe the enemy has an agenda for your life too. His agenda is pretty, pretty simple to work out. He's got two plans for you. First one is to keep you away from faith in Jesus. That's his first plan. That's plan number one. And you know what? He will heal you, make you prosperous. He'll do whatever he has to do to take you away from God. So do you get so encapsulated with some other way of thinking or some other philosophy of life that you feel you don't have a need for the God of the Bible? That's what he'll do. But when you cross that line and he can't steal your salvation from you, he can't steal that from you because it's a grace gift from God, he can't do that. But the next thing he'll try to do, and by the way, I'm not saying by that that once saved, always saved. Please don't hear me say that. I, I, I walk with God daily. I wake up every day. I'm saved by grace. But if I was to turn around today and say to God, I don't want anything to do with you, my loving Heavenly Father would say, well, that's your choice. I can show you from the Bible. I'm not going to get into it right now. Okay? 
We walk daily with God. We wake up every day, I commit my life to him and I walk with him and I'm saved by grace through faith. He empowers me and I grow and I, I continue to go forward. All right? What I'm saying is this, the devil can't take my salvation away. All right? I'm saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not something I earned, something that was given to me, but I, I, I accepted that gift of salvation. But if the devil can't stop you from coming into faith, I think his second plan is to make you apathetic about your faith. I'll just make you apathetic. I can't, I can't take you out of heaven. When you die, you're going to go and be with God. I can't take you out of heaven, but I'm going to take heaven out of you here on earth. I'm going to make sure that you're apathetic. I'm going to make sure you're focused on all the wrong things. I'm going to make sure that you don't press in too hard to God. I'm going to make sure you never got time to read the word. I'm going to make sure you never got time to pray. I'm going to make sure, maybe I'll make sure you're so busy with church stuff that you can't connect with anybody that doesn't know Jesus. But I think he's got a plethora of things. And in today's digital day and age and technology world, I think he's having a bit of a field day. That's just my opinion. But he's got two plans for your life. He wants to, to, to keep you from pressing right in. And one of the things we've got to be very careful of these days, I think, in the Western world is how much have we blended our faith with the world around us? How interlocked are they? I wonder. I listen to the lyrics of songs and I think... There's a pretty clear line here with some of this stuff. That's not part of my world. This is some shows on TV I look at and I go, pretty clear line here. I don't want to support that. I'm over here. People twitching around a little bit. I saw the twitch, Daniel. You know, you can't minister to other people out of a third-party relationship with God. This was the problem with the sons of Sceva. The Bible says that they went to these people that were having demonic problems and said, in the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. Didn't work out real good for him if you read the rest of the story. It says that the person with the demon spirit in him turned around and said, you know, Paul, I'm very well acquainted with. We know Paul. Jesus, well, of course we know. But who are you? And the Bible says they jumped on these seven men, beat the tar out of them, and they fled that place, the Bible says, naked and bleeding. You can't minister for God or expect to have the power and authority of God flowing through you if you don't have a relationship with God. In fact, it's very dangerous from what I see in here. We might not have demons jumping on us and beating us up these days, but I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But what I'm saying is this. I need to have a current relationship with God, not, not be living on the back of somebody else's, which can quite easily happen. I mean, if you come here to church just for me to pump you up every seven days, uh, but for the other six and a half days... You've got no interest in trying to build your own relationship with God or reading your Bible or praying or, or fellowshipping or sitting quietly and listening. If, you, if you've got no capacity or desire to want to build your own relationship with God, you're living on something else, you're missing out. You're really missing out. You see, we're called to go into the world and do this kind of stuff. We're called to go out and to do battle, if you want to put it that way. 
We're called to preach the gospel to people whose eyes are blinded spiritually. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this age has blinded their minds. They can't see. And we're called to go out and, and, and to pray for sick people and to see the power of God come and transform and change and, and, and God get glory that this God we serve is alive today. He's a supernatural God, just like the book says. We're called to go out there into the world and know that right now there's a spiritual dynamic going on and we will be confronted with situations where God is not the spirit speaking to us or dealing with us. It's another spirit. There are things that need to be shifted and moved in our community, in our lives and in our world. But see, it's interesting that all this took place here in the city of Ephesus. That's the famous verse that Paul writes when he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.12. What did he say? We wrestle not. Flesh and blood, powers and principalities and forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We can't buy a bigger sword and sharpen the sword we got. That's not going to win the battle we need. You know, I can sharpen my intellect and think that that's going to change the world. I can sharpen my intellect all I want, become the brainiest Christian in the world. It's not going to remove a spiritual blinder off people's lives. The weapons of our warfare, Paul writes, they're not carnal. They're not carnal. In other words, there's a spiritual dynamic. There's a spiritual world going on around us. And we can't just do what we pick up the books and we read the five steps to healing or the three steps to deliverance or or copy what somebody else does. Hey, if we don't have relationship with God ourselves, if we're not building an intimate relationship with him, to the degree that we're intimate with him is the degree to which I believe he allows his power to flow through us. We can't minister out of second-hand revelation or I can't minister out of somebody else's relationship with God. I'm called to go out there and to work. Now, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us what really went on when that happened. But it does go on and it says this, just after these seven sons of Sceva get the tar beaten out of them. In verse 17, it says this. It says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It doesn't tell us what happened. When it talks about fear, it's not talking about fear as in I'm scared. It's talking about reverence. When this happened, when these guys went out there in the name of Jesus going, hey, we, we're, in the name of Jesus, we're going to go and do all this stuff, and it didn't work. The devil jumped on them beat the tar out of them. The rest of the church, and that's what it says, those who believed, the rest of the church, something happened inside of them. Something transpired. We don't know what happened. Was it suddenly an awareness of the spiritual world around them? I don't think so. Because they lived in a culture where they knew there was a spiritual world. They knew about the spiritual dimension. I don't think it was an awareness all of a sudden of an epiphany. Oh, there's a spiritual world. They already knew that. They're living smack bang in the middle of it. But it's interesting what follows just after that. It says, And many who had believed, we're talking about believers, they came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them in a total of 50,000 pieces of silver. You'll, you'll hear in Bible uh, commentaries that's between the equivalent of 1 million to 4 million US dollars today. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, God doing something in this city? And then we go down to Oaks Oval and we just. Rob brings all of his timber and Tim and Tiff bring all their timber from, uh, from their properties and we just dump it in the middle there and we just say to everybody, you know what, if you've got stuff in your world that you know you shouldn't have, bring it in, we're going to burn it. We're going to get rid of it. We're going to deal with it. Why are we going to deal with it? Well, because we're solely devoted to God. 
I made a decision when I was 19. I don't want to muck around. I don't want a bit of this and a bit of that. I can have a bit of this and a bit of that, and I can still make it to heaven. But here's the thing. While I'm down here, I'll never really flow in everything God has for me if I'm a little bit of this, a little bit of that. God was so devoted to me that he died for me. And I believe he wants me to so devoted, be dev- so devoted to him that I'll die for him. I'm chucking vegetables at you today. There's no ice cream or, or strawberries. It's all vegetables today. To the degree that we have intimacy with God, to the degree that we be with Jesus, is the degree to which he sends us out with power and authority. Look at the lives of the disciples. What did he do? He called them first to be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have power to heal the sicknesses and cast out demons. But he called them first to be with him. And my, my, I guess my question this morning is this, are we really with Jesus? Are we with Jesus? Um, the Bible actually encourages us it encourages us to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Why do we have to examine ourselves? Why do we examine ourselves? I'll give you one reason why we examine ourselves. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, I think, verse 8, Peter tells us one of the reasons why we should examine ourselves. He says this. He says, The devil... The enemy goes about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Guess what? Peter's not writing that to the non-church. He's writing it to the church. I'm saved. I'm, well, yes, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Exactly right. But the devil didn't leave you alone. He didn't leave you alone. It says that he goes about like a roaring lion... Seeking who he may devour. In other words, when you're seeking, you're looking for something. So in other words, I want you to imagine this. The devil can't take your salvation away, but what he will do is do this. I don't want you to be effective for God in this life. I can't take heaven away from you. You're saved by grace. But what I can do is is try to make you as ineffective as I can. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to seek ways that I can devour you. I'm walking around and I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a foothold. Just give me something. Give me, give me some bad attitudes. Give me a bit of gossip. G- g- give, me, give me some stuff that you know you shouldn't be looking at. Give me some things you know you shouldn't be listening to. Give me a bit of anger. Just, just give me something that I can come on in and get a bit of a toehold in, a bit of a foothold in. Then I can be in the work loop. I was reading this week about Job, and it's really fascinating, and I want to read it more. But here's a really interesting thing about Job. I want to stand on the chair and say this because it's cool. It's not cool, but it showed me something. In the beginning of Job, the very beginning of Job, the devil comes to God, and there's this discussion. And here's what the devil says. Here's what the devil says, right? He says this. He says, if you take your hand off Job, you let me get near enough to him, he'll curse God. He'll, he'll curse God and die, you know. He'll want to say, curse God and die. Right? He only doesn't do it because you protect him. Cut a long story short, a whole bunch of things happened to Job. I think it's in verse 3, I think, chapter 3, sorry. Job's wife says something to Job. You know what she says to him? Why don't you curse God and die? Interesting. The devil wanted to, he, he wanted to get something out there. And he used this person, this woman, this wife. I'm not saying anything evil about women, by the way, but I'm just saying, don't shoot me down. What I'm saying is this, that he must have somehow found a foothold somewhere. And the words that came out of her mouth were the very words that the enemy himself uttered to God about Job. 
there was a foothold somewhere. Maybe she was over him. Maybe she was frustrated at him. Maybe, maybe she herself allowed bitterness to creep in because remember the sons that died, they were her sons too. We just hear the story from Job's perspective. We don't hear a lot about his wife, but she would have been going through pain and stuff as well. But the point is this, there was something going on spiritually that the devil had to find somewhere to get it out there into this natural world and he looked for a foothold. Now I want to go back. What's interesting here is that the response to this this beating that these guys got, what was the response? Here's the response of the Ephesian people. It says, many who had believed they came confessing and telling their deeds and then they grabbed all these things that they had and they burned them. I wonder, I wonder whether they did this because they were smart enough to realise that the adversary, the devil, he's not finished with us just because we're saved. We're still going to take this relationship with God serious because he's looking for a foothold. He's looking for a foothold. And so if I can find deeds, actions, things that we keep in the dark, if I can find some of that stuff, maybe I can use that to wiggle my way in and pull them back from the fullness of God and everything he has for them. Maybe with their books and their trinkets and things like that, you don't have to believe this, but I believe that that sort of stuff is a bit of a foothold. I believe that when we moved into our house, there were uh, like Buddha statues and things all around the yard. You know, we told the owner, before we moved there, I want you to get rid of all those things and take them away. Why? Because they're not pretty or because I don't like statues? No. But because it's no different to, to in Ephesus here, I believe that there are spiritual footholds attached to some of these things. I remember years and years and years ago, with, with, uh, dealing with a lady and she was into witchcraft. She called herself a white witch, but there's no white and black. You're either operating in the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, or you're operating in another power completely, and it comes under 50,000 different names, but it originates with the devil. There's only two power sources, people, only two. Don't allow yourself to think otherwise. There's two. And one of them is not you, and then the other one's... No, it's God through the Holy Spirit, or it's the devil. That's just what I believe, okay? Based on what I see from Genesis through in this book. That's what I believe. Now, I remember she came to faith. And when she came to faith, I took her to this passage and said, look, why don't, uh, you know, you have a read of this and you see what's, what's, so she had a bit of a read of it and she just came around to our house one day and we put a bin in the backyard and she just brought buckets of books, like I'm talking boxes of books. And you know what was interesting? We burnt them. We threw them in the fire, we burnt them. Funny thing, you don't have to believe this, I've never seen a flame so aggressive and go so high from a book. <sighs> took off. I don't think the devil was happy that day. But what happened that day was by removing that stuff, what was she doing? She was removing footholds. She was removing footholds from her life. Because she made a decision, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then according to this, and this is a new believer, I didn't tell her she had to do it, but if we're going to follow Jesus, we want to give Jesus as many footholds into our world as we can, and we want to eliminate as many footholds as we can that the enemy would try to get into our life. Because God wants to give you life and life abundantly. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So why do we live a life of half-heartedness where we're over here with God, but we'll still hang on to those attitudes, we'll hang on to those feelings, we'll hang on to those amulets, those books, that stuff that we know if Jesus was sitting here right now and I was reading this, I probably wouldn't read it out loud to him. He wouldn't be happy. But I'll sit in my car and I'll listen to that music. But if Jesus was here right now, he probably wouldn't like listening to that music with me. If I brought Jesus to my house and I took him through my house and he saw the big painting of Shiva, the goddess of destruction on my wall, he might not like it. And we look at this world and because we think everything is so natural, we don't realise 
That the world we live in is the natural world, but this Bible teaches us that the natural world is not all there is to it. There is a spiritual dimension to life. There really is. And I just wonder, and I want to finish with this. I wonder, I wonder whether if everybody in the church, myself included, if we all got before the Lord and we said, God, I don't want to give place to the enemy. I don't want any footholds because I've got this amount of time. That's it. It's going to be gone like that. I'm 47. And I cannot believe how quick it has gone, so I can't imagine where some of you guys are coming from. <laughs> Here today, gone tomorrow. That's the reality, and you would all agree with that. It comes and goes so fast. There's going to be a point in my life where I go, I just want to go 100% for Jesus with my marriage, with my kids, with my, my time, with my finance, with my energy, with my relationships. There's going to come a point. It's either going to come when the last breath has left my nostrils and then it'll be kind of too late, I guess, because I'll be there. Or it's going to come somewhere along the journey. What excites me about this story is this. Demetrius gathers these black silversmiths together and says, we're, if I could summarise it, we're, we're shot. Unless something happens, unless we can get a grip of these people and just say, look, you know, it's okay to follow Jesus, just, just tone it down a little. It's okay to follow Jesus, but you can still have the statue on you. Well, of course you can. It's okay to follow Jesus and you can still go to your secret business meeting things, those clubs that meet, you know, it's okay to follow Jesus and, 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 you know, still, you know, it's okay. Because unless we do that, we're shot. It started with an epic fail. wonder if they went, well, look what happens when you muck around. A, there's no impact. Because these guys got beat up, so what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Maybe it's time that we take this spiritual side of life more seriously. And we press into God. And we say, Lord, we want you and everything that you've got for us. Demetrius is not standing there because they got a really, really great charismatic speaker to come into town. Paul the Apostle, and they put signs all around Demetrius isn't standing there because they upskilled all their worship leaders and got everybody to play the most modern songs and we got a better lighting system. And Demetrius isn't standing there because, because the believers got together and said, let's run a whole bunch of outreach programs into our community. And let's... Demetrius is standing there because individuals went, you know what, I've got to draw a line in the sand here. I've got to draw a line in the sand here. I, I'm, I'm for God. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a member of the way. And I know that this natural world I live in is so appealing, but I've, I know there's more to it than this. And when these individuals drew a line in the sand and they got themselves serious, no one told them to do it. Read the story. Paul didn't come and say, now you've got to do this. Now you've got to burn books. Now you've got to... Nothing. This was a move of the Holy Spirit upon the individual hearts of people. And I just pray, my prayer is this, that the Holy Spirit would move across not just us 
because we're, we're a part of a bigger body here in Lismore, but that the Holy Spirit would move upon each of our own individual hearts. But it starts with me. I can only control me. I can only go before the Lord myself and go, God, is there any area within me that needs to be adjusted? God, are there things in my life? And I'm even going to talk material things. Are there stuff that I have? It, what, what, whatever, giving the, the enemy a toehold to pull me back from everything that you have for me, God, I want it out of my life. I want it out of my life. I don't want it there. Because I want the end result of what they got. I want to be in a community where the church is not laughed at. I want to be in a community where the church is not scoffed. I want to be in a community where the church is not just gathering in a bunch of buildings on a Sunday morning, singing our songs, clapping our hands, talking out of a book, having nice morning tea, cups of coffee, then disappearing, and whatever takes place in here is having no effect. By the time we get out of our car at home, it's like it's all dripped off. Is anyone else tired of that? I know I am. And I'm not saying that because I think it's with you. I'm looking at my own life. Going, God, you put me here for a reason. It's more than this. Not that I don't love you guys and don't, you know. But God, I'm your hands, I'm your feet. I'm your vocal cords, I'm your heart. Empower me. And if there's anything in my life that's slowing that down, Lord, deal with it. Deal with it. Because my flame will be snuffed out at some point. At some point it's going to be gone. I've got a shot here right now. God can't do anything more for me than he has. And that's the truth. He saved me. He's given me his word. He's filled me with his spirit. He's empowered me. I've got authority in the name of Jesus. He's done everything he can do. I want to make sure that I'm staying a clean, clear vessel so that when I do stand before him, I'm that holy, clean, white, spotless bride that I'm meant to be. Amen? Yep. Some more beans and sprouts <laughs> next week I promise I'll give you some ice cream and cake but beans and sprouts help you grow Father thank you for your word God thank you Lord for God the stuff that you show us Lord I'm, I'm so grateful God that we have a, a relationship with you God not a relationship with a book God not a relationship with a philosophy God not got a relationship with a distant ancestor. But Father, you're here with us right now, God. You're hearing every word that I'm saying. You're hearing the thoughts of every person's heart in this room right now, God. Lord, I thank you that you have such incredible, incredibly good things in store for those who would open themselves up fully to you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people whose entire lives are impacted by our faith in Jesus Christ, not just what we do on a Sunday morning for a few hours or not just what you know, we pick up a Bible and read it or not just that every now and then we sit alone and speak to the sky. Lord, I pray, God, let us be a people that are just consumed with Jesus, that are consumed with not the Christian faith, but the Christian life. Thank you that Jesus never said, come join the Christian faith. He said, come follow me. So Father, I pray as we leave this place today, Lord, just seal in our hearts the challenge, the word that you've spoken to us, Lord. God, anything that's not of you, just let it 
drop off, disappear. But if it's you, Father, let it take root. And Father, I pray the next seven days as we head out to work, to school, Lord, let every one of us in this room, I pray, every single one of us, give us the opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God, somebody who up to this point right now doesn't know about it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Right, God bless. Have a, a great week. Um, we're going to wait up the front here for a little bit. If anyone would like prayer for anything, we want to pray. We've seen uh, a few uh, things happen in the last few weeks. People with different things have come up later on and, and uh, hasn't not just us, but we've, they've prayed and, and God's been moving and doing some things. So we don't want to stop that. Uh, praying for the sick is not something that we just do occasionally. It's part of church life. Praying for needs is something we do as part of church life. It's not a program. So we're going to wait up the front here. Anybody like prayer or whatever or uh, have a bit of a chat, whatever, we're here. So bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll catch you all later on.